Welcome to Hidden Headlines, the good news, the God news, the stuff no one in the secular media is talking about. I'm your host, Brian Sussman. This is news for the final week of November. By the way, all of these stories can be found at briansussman.com. I invite you to follow me. Just go to briansussman.com. There are a number of ways to keep in touch with me and make sure you tell somebody about Hidden Headlines. All right, I've got a great group of stories here. And again, they're all at my blog at briansussman.com. But the way I'm tying them in together, this is very linear. Everything's going to make sense. So if you join me here at the beginning, you want to stick around to the end because we've got to start, we've got to finish. Hey, that's called a great newscast. So let's begin with a story that I'm entitling State Democrat Party Elevates Atheists. So this is taking place in Massachusetts. I find this fascinating. You know, Massachusetts, we just had Thanksgiving. Massachusetts, the first Thanksgiving occurred in what is now Massachusetts. That's where the pilgrims landed. Uh, Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, Truly the birthplace of authentic, born-again Christianity in North America because the pilgrims were, these were righteous individuals who were escaping Europe because they'd been so grossly persecuted primarily by the Church of England. Go figure, the church persecuting Christians. Well, that's been going on for some for some time. You get you get a little too uh, you, you start to stick to the book a little too closely and if the higher-ups don't like it, they'll go after you. And that's what happened to the pilgrims. So, long story made short, they come to North America to simply practice their religion. So, Massachusetts was born. I was just a colony of born-agains. The heart of that uh, state really has to do with authentic Christians, real Jesus followers, or for those of, of you who are of the, the messianic persuasion as I am, you know, Messiah followers. That's what was going on. Now it is the epicenter of atheist liberalism. And proving my point, the Democrat Party of Massachusetts has passed a resolution recognizing the religiously unaffiliated, or what they call the nuns, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, as an important and growing demographic group worthy of respect and aligned to the values of the Democrat Party. So this non-theist recognition resolution was introduced by a guy named Stephen Driscoll. He's the longtime co-chair of the LGBT subcommittee in the uh, in the Massachusetts uh, delegation and a member of the executive committee of the Massachusetts Democrat State Committee. So this is a guy who serves on the Resolutions Committee of the Massachusetts Democrat Party. Now, it doesn't surprise me, at the risk of sounding provocative, it doesn't surprise me that you would have the co-chair of the LGBT subcommittee bring this forward, because generally speaking, LGBT activists are, well, should we just say, anti-traditional God. They wouldn't be necessarily followers of Jesus, as we read about Jesus in the scriptures, both the New Testament and, of course, uh, the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the Tanakh, etc. And that's because there are many things said in those books which condemn uh, such lifestyle choices. I'll just leave it at that. Does it mean God doesn't love those people? Absolutely he loves those people. He loves all people of all persuasions, and he desires us to develop a relationship with him whereby we will live in accordance with his ways, 
So enough said there. So anyway, this resolution, this is where I find it fascinating. This resolution supports the importance of this growing demographic, the nuns. And guess what? I believe this demographic is very real, and I believe it is growing, and I've got several more stories following this to prove my point. But this growing demographic now has nearly a quarter of the American population in its corner. Literally, 25% of the American population is now religiously unaffiliated. And most U.S. adults say it is not necessary necessary to believe in God to be moral and have good values. And I believe that as well. You don't have to necessarily believe in God to be a moral person. Sure, I, I totally get that. Um. It states that the nuns have tripled as a demographic in the last two decades and also have become the largest religious group within the Democratic Party. Well, I totally believe that as well, because I see where the Democrat Party at large is headed these days. And it certainly is flying in the face of traditional um, morality. But all of that said, I do believe there is this demographic that's growing. And so much of it has to do with what? The rejection of traditional religion, Christianity, um, or even Judaism, the rejection of, well, take all the religions, uh, even, even the religions that are sort of phony baloney. People aren't flocking to those religions the way they used to, and I think it has in large part to do with the breakdown of the family, but I think it also speaks to the times in which we live. We might be entering a period, well, certainly, we're entering a period that's closer to the end times than ever before. So, okay, we have the nuns, the largest growing demographic in America when it comes to religion, people that aren't religious at all and, by and large, don't believe in God. But what do they believe in? Well, now here's another story. It's at briansussman.com. Witchcraft. Witchcraft on the rise. No surprise to me. I've been studying this topic for decades. Uh, if you go to briansussman.com and our... Another Chance Podcast, Another Chance Podcast number two is about my friend John Fratarola and his incredible salvation story. Uh, but John and I did a documentary many, many years ago uh, called America's Best Kept Secret. This was about witchcraft in America. And we interviewed witches and we interviewed warlocks and we interviewed uh, police who had been... Um, investigating the crimes committed by these people. And we interviewed, um, we interviewed victims of the crimes committed by these individuals. So I believe witchcraft has been around for a long time, and I believe it is on the rise. Newsweek magazine. Witchcraft and other pa pagan religious practices increased in the U.S. over the past few decades with millennials turning to astrology and tarot cards as they turn away from Christianity and other traditionally dominant Abrahamic religions. Continuing from the Newsweek story, the number of witches and Americans practicing Wicca religious rituals increased dramatically since the 1990s, with several recent studies indicating there may be at least 1.5 million witches across the country. I totally believe this. And uh, a, a, an area of... California, where I hang out a lot, is Santa Cruz, California. They've got, they've got an occult store there that's just off the charts. It's everything you need for the world of witchcraft. And I have a member of my family who was with me coming in from out of town, passing by the store. And I said, Jenny, you got to check this place out because she used to be a witch. And her husband was a warlock, former husband. 
But uh, we passed by this store and Jenny said, oh my gosh. And I'm like, what? She said, if you could only read all of the signs in front of the store. Yeah, they were all cryptic. I can't understand. It's, it's like a different language. All of the signs, the symbols, etc. This is very real. But again, I think this is where people are going. There's power in witchcraft. There's real power. This, there's, there's something there. And it's coming from where? Hello? Satan himself. So people are drawn to this kind of power because, well, because perhaps they have looked at a church in America that's dead or dying, or two, they've been turned off by certain Christians who have been, um, have not been able to share the good news of Jesus properly, or maybe it's just flat-out rejection of the truth. Could be a number of things. But now I go from that story to this story. This is a marketwatch.com story. Why millennials are ditching religion for witchcraft and astrology. So this is written by MarketWatch, uh, not a you know not a Christian operation. It says here when Coco Lane, a Brooklyn-based producer, meets someone new these days, the first question that comes up in the conversation isn't where do you live or what do you do, but what's your sign. So Coco says, so many millennials read their horoscopes every day and believe them. It's a good reference point to identify and, uh, and get together with people all over the world. So reading here, the majority of Americans now believe it's not necessary to believe in God, similar to the study I just shared with you a couple minutes ago, um, in order to have good moral values. So you don't have to believe in God to be a moral person. Again, I totally understand that. I'm wondering if the morals don't come from God, where do they come from? I mean, really, you've got to ask that question. So this is a study from the Pew Research Center. They do some pretty decent studies. The percentage of people between the ages of 18 or 29 who never doubt the existence of God fell from 81% in 2007 to 67% in 2012. So if it fell that much from 2007, uh, 2007 to 2012, 81% to 67%. Where do you think it is now? It's probably below 50%. Do not doubt that for a moment. Meanwhile, more than half the young adults in the United States believe astrology is an actual science. And then it goes on to talk about the psychic services industry. So that's astrology, uh, aura reading, tarot card reading, palmistry, other metaphysical services. That's growing, and the industry, by the way, is worth $2 billion annually. So that's the market watch spin in all of this. So we go from that to this story, again, at briansussman.com. Scientists confirm biblical destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a scientific study that aligns with the biblical account of the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by fire and brimstone from the heavens. So I'm just going to walk you back to the 19th chapter of the first book in the Bible, Genesis. You read the story of God sending two angels to save a guy named Lot and his family from a city where men demanded to be intimate with visiting men. I mean, this is one of the clearest biblical condemnations of homosexuality. So these two angels arrive at the town of Sodom, and uh, they meet Lot, and Lot bows down to these, these angelic beings. I don't know what they look like. I have no idea, but they were angels. Maybe he just thought they were, you know, uh, men who were leaders. He, he called them my lords. He says, my lords. 
Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. Now, I don't believe in the beginning. I could be wrong here. I don't believe in the beginning. He, he knew that they were angels. Again, I just think he thought they were very special, powerful, wealthy lords. So he prepared a meal for these people, um, and they ate. And then before they went to bed, all the men from every part of Sodom surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, who are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. So the bottom line is, at the end of this story, these crazy men who wanted to do wrong to these two guests in Lot's house were punished by the Lord. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. Thus he overthrew those two cities in the entire plain, destroying those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. That's right from the Bible. So the truth of the matter, and then the biblical record also speaks to the fact that uh, nothing was returned to life in that region for, for hundreds of years. Anyway, isn't it interesting? Scientists, um, and again, the story's up at briansussman.com, scientists have found evidence of a cataclysmic event in that area. Now, they don't attribute it to God, but they say something cataclysmic took place. There was a superheated blast from the skies that obliterated cities, farming settlements, and all of this stuff about 3,700 years ago. Uh, they use radiocarbon dating and unearthed materials um, to recognize the fact that all of this crystallized at high temperatures, indicating a massive airburst they suspect caused by a meteor that exploded in the atmosphere and then rained down particles, instantly destroying civilization in this area. Um, they also said the event pushed a bubbling brine of dead sea salts over once fertile farmland, and it all makes sense. I mean, to me, it makes sense. So scientists are saying, you know, we've studied this particular area, and whether or not they attribute this to uh, the story in the Bible, I got news for you. It lines up perfectly. So we go from that to this story now. Also at briansussman.com in the blog. Adam and Eve. Science says we all came from one couple. So this is a major shock, obviously, to people who believe in evolution. <laughs> because this study of the genetic, genetic code shows the human race sprang from a single adult couple. Okay, makes sense to me. But then again, I'm a creation guy. I guess if you're an evolutionist, you believe just all at once, kabooge, society. I don't know what you believe, because that makes no sense to me. Anyway, um, this is a research associate from the University of Basel in Switzerland saying this conclusion is very surprising. I fought against it as hard as I could. The guy didn't want to believe it. Researchers say the first couple arose after a catastrophic event that nearly wiped out the human race. So I guess everybody was wiped out but one couple. And uh, the two scientists who studied this study, uh, headed this study concluded 90% of all animal species alive today came from parents that began giving birth at roughly the same time. Roughly the same time. So, it, you know, it all makes sense to me. I do believe that God created the earth, and I do believe that he did it in six days, and I do believe on the seventh day he rested, and I do believe 
that uh, we're supposed to rest on that seventh day as well. And I personally do believe that that seventh day is Saturday. <laughs> and you could, you could do all you want to change the Sabbath to Sunday, but Sabbath is Saturday, and even Yeshua himself uh, acknowledged it as such. Remember what the Bible says? He's Lord of the Sabbath. But I believe in that six days, God did all the work he did uh, necessary to give us what we have today. Now, some evolutionists claim, and I'm just going to opine for, opine for just a moment. Some evolutionists today claim that the origin of life is not really a part of evolution. You know, so we don't have to talk about the origin of life because we don't really know. There was a big bang, primordial soup, whatever it may be. But, you know, we don't have to focus on that. Let's focus on the evolutionary process. Why? Because that first part, you know, the origins, too hard to explain. They keep giving us this magic wand of time, a big bang, the magic wand of time, and poof, you have me. I mean, I'm looking at my hands, the dexterity, the brilliance of these hands. I mean, that's just amazing. I'm thinking about my eye. How, how does, how does this, this ball inside my head work so perfectly, connects with my with my, with my brain and allows me to see and perceive it. It's just incredible. I mean, I am wonderfully and skillfully made to quote the scriptures, but probably every, even though they, they claim that the origin of life is not a part of evolution, I'll bet every evolutionary biology textbook has a section on the origin of life. They all do. Uh, for example, um, Evolution 101. Here's a book. It's called Evolution 101. It's used um, in the University of California system. There's a section titled From Soup to Cells, The Origin of Life. There you go. Whoops, there it is. So let me just ask you this question. What is it that we have to have to produce a living cell? Because a living cell, if, I mean, when life began, there had to be one cell. Where did that cell come from? You know, you can't have a banana pie without the bananas. So where'd the cell come from? A living cell is capable of acquiring all the resources it needs from its surroundings and then reproducing itself. That's incredible. So the first cell had to be free living. That means it could not depend on other cells for its survival because other cells didn't exist. I mean, it's really that simple... So what are the minimum requirements for a cell to live? Let me just ask you that question. Because a minimum free-living cell that can manufacture its components using chemicals and energy obtained from its surrounding environment and reproduce itself must have three things. It must have a cell membrane. Uh, this, the cell membrane has to, you know, it would separate the cell from the environment. And then it must be capable of maintaining a different chemical environment inside the cell as compared to outside. So how did that first cell come to be? I'm just asking the question to all your evolutionists out there. Second question, a cell must have a way of storing the information or specifications that instructs a cell how to make another cell. Okay, I mean, that's folks, we're talking DNA now. DNA is the basis of all known life. And then three, uh, a cell must have a way of reading that information to make the cell's components and also control the amount produced and the timing of production. I mean, proteins, major components of proteins. And the only known way of making a cell's proteins from the DNA specs involve 
100 proteins and other complex cofactors. I mean, there's so much there in the single cell. Where did that come from? I contend a divine creator. I contend the one who is named I am. I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. All right, we go from that to this story, which I think is a wonderful conclusion. This, again, is at uh, briansussman.com on the blog. And we go to uh, a wonderful passage from the writings in what we oftentimes refer to as the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're told there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. The writer, maybe Solomon, then tells us there's a time to be born and a time to die. None of us knows when we will breathe our last, I write. But the story of the following young woman is a reminder we need to make every day count for him. So this is a wonderful woman. I, I wish I would have had the, the pleasure of meeting her. Kellyanne Broderick, 27-year-old. Uh, she was killed last weekend by a drunk driver in Colorado. And she was a woman of genuine faith. She was driving to the airport as a passenger. A drunk driver was going in the opposite direction, direction crashes into their car. Uh, her friend was hurt but was released to the hospital, and then Kellyanne perished. This is a kid. In 2016, she completed something called the World Race, an 11-month mission trip that took her to 11 different countries around the world. So 11 countries in 11 months. And it was an opportunity to serve others, which is something she loved doing. So she wrote a blog, and I have it again at briansussman.com, detailing what God taught her in those 11 months about dreams, about her identity, even death. I'm just going to read a portion of this for you. I just think it's a nice way to conclude today. I realized my path is already known by my Creator. Can you believe this? I realized my path is already known by my Creator, but very unknown to me. So much of my identity has been caught up in how my future career will define me. I've often thought of how I need to bulldoze my way to get there and be successful, that I pass over the risky road, less traveled ways to get there and miss out on the joy of the journey. Might sound crazy, even insane, to live out of a backpack for a year and have a sleeping bag as your bed and go on what is sure to be the hardest mental, physical, and spiritual trip of my life, but I have no fear. So during her time abroad, she opens up about her struggles and compares how significant it is for people to know their identities and their eternal significance as opposed to the ways of this world. Jesus, she said, did not come for us to die. No, Jesus, she said, did not come and die for us. So we would walk with our heads low, comparing ourselves to others and constantly tearing ourselves down. He came so I could claim my place in his eternal kingdom and title as his daughter. Not so I would have to earn it, but so I would be freely given it. This is a kid, you know what? At the age of 27, uh, taken out so early, but she lived a full life and she knew her identity in the Messiah, Jesus. And at the end of the day, friends, that's, that's what it's all about. We need to know who we are. And so I ask you today, who, who are you? Maybe you're curiously listening to this and, and you don't know uh, just how much God really does love you because he does. He thinks you're special. He thinks you're wonderful. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. 
And the bottom line, and I always share this with people, especially my Jewish brothers and sisters, um, we all want to get to heaven. We all want to get to heaven. At the end of the day, deep down inside, we want to believe that when we breathe our last, when we close our eyes, when it's lights out, there's going to be something there for us. It's heaven. And if there is a heaven, don't you want to go there? And if you want to go there, then how are you going to get there? Kellyanne was saying, it's not by my works. It's about his free gift. So if it's about works, you'll never do enough good stuff. Because even at the end of the day, there's going to be the bad stuff. The stuff that you just thought about. The stuff that was in your heart. The stuff that you were thinking. The stuff you wanted to do but didn't do. That's all bad stuff. And you can do great works and you can do good things and you can help people and that's all wonderful, but that's not going to give you the ticket into heaven. Instead, what will is a simple surrender to your creator, the one who made your hands, the one who made your eyes, the one who made every cell of your body, the one who says, I love you just as you are. Come to me. And watch what we can do. Watch what we can do. And when you make that proclamation of faith, I mean, really and truly, just lay it all out there and say, Lord, I'm yours. Man alive that changes, the changes, both in this lifetime and in the life to come. And when you make that commitment of faith, can I tell you something? Any fear you have about the end of this life, will begin to slip away. And I'll tell you more about that in another episode of Hidden Headlines or perhaps even in another podcast, another chance podcast because that was a big part of my life story. Speaking of the Another Chance podcast, again, I've got a new episode that's going to be posted uh, within the next day or two. I really look forward to that as well. And I thank you for your listenership. Hidden Headlines. The good news, the God news, the stuff nobody in the secular media is talking about. And I'm your host, Brian Sussman. Go to briansussman.com. You can follow me there. Make sure you share this broadcast with others. Thank you.